You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. As we begin, we're going to be in the book of Psalms this summer. Perhaps you remember last summer, we spent several months in the book of Psalms, studying through God's Word, trying to understand what it is the Lord is doing in our lives, and really trying to learn from the experience of the saints that have come before us. These saints we see in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Psalms, as they're walking through life circumstances, they're writing down the things they're experiencing. There are prayers in here of pain, of sorrow. There are prayers of joy and of worship. And we get to see the full experience of the human life through the words that we find here. Not only do we get to see the full experience of the human life in these words, but we also see God's answers to His people throughout this book. It's a beautiful section of scripture that perhaps you spent some time in. And this summer we selected several psalms that we'll study through and wrestle with and begin to consider what is the Lord saying to us through these words. Now today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 127, Psalm 127. We're looking at this idea within the psalm, this heritage of character. As we consider this, obviously today is Father's Day. And as we think about Father's Day, it's natural for us to begin to think about our fathers. Now, some of us are fortunate to have fathers that have been great examples in our lives. And perhaps you've not been fortunate to have that. But as you think about what your father has done or what your stereotypical, your picture of a perfect father should be like, you have things that come to mind. The things that you remember, the things that stand out to you are positive memories. I can think back in my life with my father, all the things that he's done, his willingness to serve others, his desire to do whatever is necessary to provide for his family, his dedication to ensure that we always had what we needed and much of what we wanted. My father was committed to loving and to serving us continually, and he still does today. He's an example of what a man should be like in my life. There have been other men in my life who've helped fill some fatherly roles. And as you perhaps think through your life, you've got people who have walked in that place with you. Maybe it's a father, a stepfather. Maybe it's just been a man who's walked steadfastly with you and your family. But you've seen examples of character in action. You've seen examples of where word and deeds are aligned. I would simply submit to you that these things that we point out, that we exemplify in the lives of our fathers or in our parents in general, we simply would say that these are things that are words of kindness, good works, actions that are steadfast, loving, and affection. I would submit to you that these are things that are overflow of their character. You see, I know my father's a good man. Not just because of the words he says or the things he does, but because I've seen how he lives. You can say the same thing about your father or your parents. You've seen the things they've done and you know what's inside their heart based upon their words and deeds. Now, if this is true, if this is true that the things that come out are simply overflow of what's present inside our heart, then what should our character truly look like? What should our character truly look like if we're going to live as Christ has intended us to live? What should we do to build a heritage of character? 
As we study this psalm today, I believe we're going to see the things that we are to do, not just as fathers, but as people of Christ, to build a heritage of character. Simply put, we want to leave a legacy of things that are built in Christ when we pass from this world. That's our goal. That's our desire as Christ followers. And first, we have to take a step back and consider what is this legacy, what is this heritage to be built on? Well, as we look at the book of Psalms, today as we study Psalm 127, I believe we'll see what the heritage, this house of the Lord, should be built on. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, looking at Psalm 27, verses 1 and 2, I want you to write this down. Your first point is that we are to let the Lord build your house. Look with me at verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. As we look at this passage, there are a few things that we see, some themes, if you will, in the first two verses that I don't think we can ignore. We see these words pop up with some repetition. We see this word unless occur twice. We see this word vain occur three times. These are really driving this first section of Scripture. In addition, as we study this, we've got some other themes of, of building, of security, of work. These things appear to us. And ultimately, they lead us to believe that either the Lord will be in our efforts, He'll be working through our efforts, or our efforts are useless and in vain. See, verse 1 draws our attention in a very straightforward way to the root of the issue here. Unless the Lord is in it, it will be a vain effort. Unless the Lord is in it, it will be a vain effort. Now, what are we to do with that? We hear that and we think that may very well be true, but what is it that we are supposed to do? Well, I would submit to you, I would believe that as we look at this, this shows us the necessity of a foundation built upon God and His work in this world. This is showing us that everything in our lives must be built upon this firm foundation of the name of Jesus, if it's to amount to anything. This foundation is built on this personal relationship that you and I have with Jesus. What does that look like? Well, simply put, it means that God created us as humans, as people. And in this creation, things were good until we sinned. And when we sinned, we separated ourselves from God and everything began to crash down upon us. And in that moment, things seemed terrible because there was no hope. But even back in the garden, God proclaimed to His people, Adam and Eve, He said, I will make a way for the Redeemer to come. I will ensure that what the devil meant for evil will be used for good. And we go thousands of years later through the cycle of human history of sin and forgiveness and repentance and sin and forgiveness and repentance until we get to this perfect time in history when this man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth walks this earth. Jesus was a man like no other. 
He was both fully man and fully God. He lived a perfect, holy life. He had this perfect obedience to the Father that you and I dream of, but we never have found. He kept every bit of the law perfectly, without error. He was innocent. He was perfect. He was righteous. And this Jesus is condemned for proclaiming that he is God. And he goes to the cross, an innocent man, because even in that claim, it was true because he truly is God. He went to the cross, an innocent man, was beaten, was scourged. He suffered on our behalf. And he hung upon that cross for the appointed time, bearing the weight of our sin and shame so that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we might experience the newness of life. He died. He went to the grave, and he was resurrected by the Spirit three days later, showing his power over life, death, and everything in between. And that same hope has been offered to you and I that if we cry out to Jesus, if we cry out to God our Father, proclaiming that we are sinners in need of a Savior, the Scriptures are clear that if we cry out for salvation, that is a prayer that God will always answer for His people. This is the Gospel. This is the personal relationship with Jesus that everything has to be built upon. That if we do not have this relationship as the foundation, then everything we do is a labor in vanity. It is useless. It is vain. It will fail. You see, our work, our labor, it will not matter in this life until it's been done with the blessing of the Lord. How do we get that blessing? Right? That's a natural question. We receive that blessing when he calls us his child. We've walked through this conversation with him of confessing our sin, of trusting in him, repenting and turning away from the things that have been in our life. That's how we receive that blessing. When we receive that blessing, what is it that we are to do with this? We are to promote human flourishing. What does that mean? It means that God uses our work, our efforts, all the things we do in this world. When we have put these things before Him, He has blessed them to shape the world into the type of place He wants it to be. You see, through that, our work, our labor, our efforts bring honor and glory to God. Why? Because they're not being done for our glory and for our name. They're being done for His glory and His name. Perhaps one of the greatest things we can do is simply labor and work in this world so that Jesus' name would be known and not ours. Ultimately, this foundation, this belief in God is going to show up in our character. You see, our character is defined as the things we say and do, but it goes deeper than that because it's really built around who we are on the inside. And the things we say and do, they flow out of who we are in our heart. 
people will see it displayed in how we live, how we act, and how we speak. It's why we always say we're talking about the gospel, that we want to both proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus. We don't want people to just hear the gospel, though that is incredibly important. I'm not putting that down, putting that aside as something that's important. We want people to hear the gospel being proclaimed to them. But we also want them to see that the gospel makes a difference in our lives, and they can see that through our actions. Perhaps as you take a step back, you've seen people who would proclaim that they follow Jesus, right? Yet they do things that aren't in line with this Jesus they say they follow. What's the first thing you proclaim when you see that? Hypocrisy! Who are you? How dare you tell me we're to live in this way, and then you do exactly what you're telling me to not do? What we're looking for is simply consistency in character. That if you say you believe these things, then you must act upon these things. That only happens when the heart, mind, and soul have been completely transformed by the gospel. You can't fake it till you make it here. Because at some point, you'll be let down. You will fail. The only way that we can see this character on display is by having our hearts, souls, and minds transformed by the power of the gospel. Eugene Peterson says this about living out our faith. He says, The only opportunity you will ever have to live by faith is in the circumstances you are provided this very day. This house you live in, this family you find yourself in, this job that you have been given, the weather conditions prevail at this moment. This is your moment to make much of the name of Jesus. If there's truth in this, that every moment of every day is an opportunity to proclaim and demonstrate the name of King Jesus to a lost and dying world, then you can't fake it until you make it here. The truth is, is that character matters. The truth is, is that who we are on the inside really does make a difference in what we say and what we do. Now you hear that and you might perhaps be discouraged. Well, the psalmist, he continues to speak to these challenges we experience in life here in verse 2. If verse 1 is a warning against godless work, against working without the blessing of God, then verse 2 is ultimately the result of what comes from that. This word vain appears, but it's connected to this language of long days and anxious toil. We read that and maybe you think God's against hard work. Maybe he wants us to take it easy. Well, no, he's not against work. I mean, after all, when you look back at a garden, he gave humanity its first job. He told us to trim the bushes and mind the plants. He told us to keep the place looking nice. Yet, work without God is vain, empty, and foolish. When we're trapped in this cycle, we lean into working harder. We lean into doing more. We lean into laboring with all we've got, yet working harder isn't the answer. It just puts you deeper into the pit. The only way out of the hole you're digging is to put the shovel down. 
You don't know if your work matters. You don't know if you'll be able to make it. You don't know if it's going to be enough. Verse 2 basically says that you can get up early, you can stay up late, and you can work yourself to death hoping that you get this bread of anxious toil or you can work hard, trust God, and He will give you blessed rest. You see, verse 2 speaking to something that's really found at the heart of our character. Simply put, when the rubber meets the road, what are you going to do? Because it's easy to have character in spades when things are simple, right? When things are going great, when you don't have any pressure upon you, it's easy to do the right thing. Yet, as verse 2 would say, when things get hard, what is it you're going to do? I would simply say it's, the answer here is it's all in a matter of who you trust and in what you trust. Do you trust in God or do you trust in yourself? Do you trust in your work or do you trust in His provision? Because here's the truth. When we live our lives, when we get in hard places, we think we can grit it out. We think if we just clench down hard enough, if we hold tight enough, we'll make it through just fine. Maybe it won't be just fine, but you know, we'll get through and we can recover. When the truth is, no one's ever gotten through by holding tight and hoping for the best. No, we've gotten through if we're truly honest, because the Lord has been generous and gracious to us. We've gotten through because we've trusted and rested in Him and His provision. Perhaps we might even say that we don't even know that the Lord is working in our lives then, yet just because we're ignorant of it doesn't mean that He is not living and active and working in our world. We see the beauty of His common grace being displayed around the world. We look at the wonders of modern medicine. The Lord has given those things to us, to all people, regardless of who they trust in. It's all a matter of who you trust and what you trust in. Who do you trust? Is it going to be in yourself or is it going to be in God? I would submit to you that if we were truly willing to be honest with one another, you might look at your heart, you might examine yourself and say, even on my best day, I'm not sure that I should trust myself over the God of the universe. Even on my best day, I don't know that I'm quite playing in the big leagues like Jesus is. And simply put, if I could be honest before you as you perhaps are being honest with yourself, I would rather Jesus step up to the plate than me. I would rather Jesus do the work than me. I would rather trust in His faithful provision than to think that anything I might do without His permission and blessing would be fruitful enough to get by. You see, if we're going to be committed to this idea of letting the Lord build your house, 
letting the Lord build who we are to give us a firm foundation to build upon, it begins with letting go and trusting in Him. And I will not give you any junk that the life you live will be easy or simple because the truth is it's not. Life is tough. There's incredible pain and suffering that we experience. But as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, as we walk with Him, we have this assurance that our suffering has meaning because it's producing a peculiar character in us that it is something that is pleasing to God because when we go into this next life into heaven, He looks upon us and will say these words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because we labor with the blessing of the Lord, that's what we hear at the end of our story. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, if indeed we're letting the Lord build this house, that He's giving us this character, He's shaping us on this foundation, what are we to do with that? We're going to ask that point two would be what the Lord would do, that the Lord, we would let the Lord bless your heritage. Look with me at verse three. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The psalmist here begins to make a transition looking at the blessing of a family. And it's a real shift in tone. He's gone from this kind of negative connotation, this conversation, into a positive conversation. You see, he's beginning to capture this, this picture of God's radically different perspective of the world and the gift of the family. See, verse 3 begins with drawing our attention to the description of children. See, the psalmist here, whom, by the way, we believe is Solomon, for reference, he calls them a, a heritage. This can also be translated as a gift in some versions. And, well, isn't this just the truth? I say this even as I've looked at my children the last 24 hours and think, these are demons from hell himself. They are screaming, they are yelling, and even this morning I thought, I am grateful for the demonic forces in my house. These kids are crazy, but aren't they a gift? There'll be a day where I miss those days. Your children have grown up, you felt that, you've seen that. But this is the truth. Children really are a gift, a heritage from the Lord. We really believe it. It's why whenever you see a kid do something cute or goofy, we all smile, don't we? We experienced that this week at the Southern Baptist Convention. When kids would come by in the convention, you see them doing silly things. You can't help but chuckle because they're adorable. On the flight back to Charleston, there was a kid in front of me doing the goofiest things. And while he was a little annoying on this tin can of an airplane, it was amusing. We think kids are gifts because they really are. We're wired this way to see them as gifts. It's why we smile and grin when they do funny things. You see, the psalmist here, he makes this direct connection that their heritage, they're a gift from the Lord. He makes that connection here in the language, and he knows where they come from. 
He knows that children are simply a gift from the Lord. We get these gifts from God himself and from no other. As we look at this psalm, the second half of verse 3, the fruit of the womb, a reward, might seem a little bit strange, but simply consider how we view our children. I want you to picture that you've got children who are godly children who grow up into people who are not only made in the image of God, but they're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We always feel pride for our children. We always are proud of what they're doing, but particularly when they're walking in the right direction with the Lord, that does something special for our heart. We love it when they listen to wisdom from us, but we love it more when they listen to wisdom from the Father. In this, this is where we find our true reward. We find true honor and wealth. We see that as they walk and grow with Jesus, this is what it's all about. This is why we labor, so that not only our children, but people who are far from God might see, hear, and respond to the name of Jesus. That their lives would be transformed by the power of the gospel, and that they would no longer live in slavery to sin, but be a child of God. This is something that is worth working for while trusting God every single step of the way. There's a theologian, Old Testament theologian, Derek Kidner, and he has a quote that I read this week that gives me hope for my children, especially for Molly. If you've met Molly, she is a little ball of fire and spice. She will tell you what she's thinking. She's opinionated. She already has a little head shake. She's five going on 15. But I want to read this quote to you. It is not untypical of God's gifts that first they are liabilities, or at least responsibilities before they become obvious assets. The greater their promise, the more likely that these children will be a handful before they are a quiverful. As we read that, we recognize the reality that that's true in our lives, right? We see as our children grow up, when they're first born, you have to do everything for them. And then they gain some measure of independence and they begin to do things for themselves. And then they become fully grown and, well, you look at them and you think, I don't know how you've got it all together because I don't, but you are a, an adult and you're growing, you're thriving, you're doing these incredible things. Even more so as we look upon our children that are handfuls, just like Molly, we recognize that this very well may be true. That the greater their promise, the more likely they will be a handful before they are quiverful. It gives me hope for Molly. It gives me hope for our children in general that they are feisty, they are loud, they are excited. And my hope, my prayer is that they will be feisty and loud and excited, not just about all the things they find joy in in their lives, but about Jesus himself. That we would be raising a generation of world changers. That they would go forth and they would see the world transformed by their joy, their excitement, their passion for what Jesus has done for them. The psalmist continues in verses 4 and 5, and he leads us to look upon children as a, as a source of God's protection for us. You see, these verses, they have us continue to think about our children, but considering them and their lives in the future. 
So he uses this reference that like the arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. You see, just like an army, just like an army, the family can provide security and protection. In the early years, what is it that we spend our time doing? Making sure they don't crawl over here and do this. Making sure they don't get into that. Hey, no, you can't do that. That's dangerous. Why would you think that's okay? We have those conversations. I mean, if you're a parent, you understand this. You recognize that there are things that you have to tell them to stop doing that you never thought you would have to explain. Yet continually, you have to tell them why they can't leap over the couch onto their sister. You have to explain why they can't shoot arrows in the house. Like These are things that you think are self-explanatory, but they are not. We have to protect them in the early years. Yet, in the later years, aren't they able to protect us? Because this is what the psalmist believes, that in later years they provide peace and protection upon us. Verse 5 is drawing our attention to this reference to the enemies at the gate. and It's a reference to the city gate. And in this time at the gate of the city, this is where all the important legal business took place. You would gather together with your witnesses, with those that you're doing business with, and this is where you would do business. And frankly, anyone who's doing business there, they would want someone to watch their back, to make sure things are safe, to make sure that they're being protected, right? A family of children who love the Lord and love you is a great group to protect you and to watch your back. Maybe as you're here, you're thinking, I've got a few years before my child grows up. Maybe my child has already grown up. How do I get that type of relationship where we love one another, we care for one another, we see this fruit of the relationship being borne out? Well, simply put, it requires early attention and involvement if we're to receive those future rewards. It means early and often you have to show up, you have to be there, you have to be involved in their lives in a deep way. This is unfortunately a case where too little, too late is going to be true. This is simply something that takes time and vulnerability. This is something that takes a length of time. You can't change this type of thing overnight. You can't build this type of relationship overnight. I would simply tell you that you need to begin to invest in your children today if you want to see this type of relationship. We all dream of the day where our children will be fully formed people of God where they love the Lord, they love their families, and they love us. We have a close-knit, bonded relationship. It doesn't happen overnight. That comes through years of faithful tilling the soil of the human heart, of loving, of caring, of directing and encouraging, of shepherding their hearts. Even in that conversation, that question, this really probably brings us back to, even in this process of, of letting the Lord bless our heritage, of letting Him build this house, it brings us immediately to this question of, who and what do you trust in? Because you may hear this and you may think, well, I'm charismatic, I'm funny, I, I'm, I'm people like me. Maybe I can build that type of relationship through my own power, my own efforts, my own labors here with my family, with those around me. 
And the truth of the matter is, you might get a little bit farther than the rest of us if you're really gifted and talented in those areas. But at the end of the day, you will still be lacking. You will still not have the relationship you want. Why? Because that relationship will be built on you, your skills, and your desires. What we're pursuing here, what we desire to see born out in our lives are relationships that are built around this foundation of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. <coughs> Simply put, we recognize that if we trust in our skills and our abilities, we trust in our work and ourselves to build these relationships, to build this foundation, to let this house be established, then we will fail. But if we trust in the Lord, in His provision, in His wisdom, in His grace, peace, and kindness, if we rest in Him and put the things of the Lord first, then we'll receive the rest. As we've studied this psalm today, one of the things that I'm convicted of, that I'm convinced of as we look at this, is that the only answer we have for all the things that ail us in this life is God himself. And perhaps you hear these things and you say, I would love to see these things change within my, my heart, maybe within my family. I just would love to see this being born out in my life. You can try to walk this road and, and live in a certain way. You can try to mend these fences, these relationships, but I promise you, you will not get to where you want to be if it's not being blessed by Jesus. And if you hear and you hear these things and you think, I want what you are proclaiming, then the only way you can get it is through Jesus. And so our conversation begins not with parenting tips, not with character tips, but it begins with who is Jesus to you? Because if he's a liar then you don't need him. If he's a lunatic, then you don't need him. But if he's Lord, he, you not only need him, but he can give you everything you desire and hope for. I would say that the choice is quite simple as we study the scriptures here, but I want you to know my hope and prayer is that for everyone here who is within the sound of my voice, that you would Take the time to respond to who Jesus is. That every one of you will make a decision about following Jesus today. Some for the hundredth time, the thousandth time will say, Yes, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life and I worship you. Others will reject him saying, I don't need what you have to offer. My hope and my prayer is that you would receive the free gift of grace from King Jesus. And follow him the rest of your days. In the next few moments, I'm going to pray for us, and our worship team will come back forward to lead us in a final song. My hope is that during this song, you would wrestle with who God is and what he's doing in your life. If you need prayer, if you'd like to talk to someone, please see me. There are other believers here in this room that you can talk with, but know that we as a faith family would be delighted to worship the Lord with you and to pray with you in this time. If I may, could I lead us in prayer now? Would you bow your heads with me?
Father, we are grateful for you. That on this Father's Day that we get to consider who the perfect Heavenly Father is. Lord, we get to think about all the things that you've done for us. We get to meditate on the beauty of the Scriptures. Lord, today as we rejoice in the gift of our earthly fathers, let us also rejoice in the gift of a Heavenly Father. Let us celebrate the goodness of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This beautiful message of hope, that King Jesus himself came to bear the weight of sin and shame on our behalf. That he died upon the cross so that our debt may be paid for. And that he was resurrected from the grave so that he would demonstrate this eternal promise that neither death nor life or anything in between will separate us from God himself. Lord, we are grateful for this truth of the gospel. That if we've been set free, we are free indeed. So Lord, remind us of that truth today. Let us confess our sins. Let us lay these things down before you at the foot of the cross so that we might be on level ground before you. And Lord, at this time, may we confess all these things before you. May we trust in you yet again. And may we sing with a clear heart and a clear conscience because you have yet again forgiven your people. Lord, we are grateful for you. And we're thankful for your love and your mercy. We pray that you would bless us in this time. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.